are here this morning, and those of you who are just out for this evening, thank you so much uh, for coming tonight. We, on these uh, most recent Sunday nights, have begun a series on the uh, particular philosophy of ministry of our local church, uh, why we do the things that we do, and uh, we have begun by addressing the issue of discipleship and the importance of discipleship as it relates to the church. I've said that in the particular period of time in which we live, there is a great degree of emphasis on individual and uh, personal discipleship, many times to the uh, neglect, if you will, or even uh, the recantance of the aspect of group discipleship. Uh, the idea that uh, you can disciple individuals uh, by uh, a large group setting through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Believe it or not, that's a highly, uh, hotly debated subject in uh, Christian circles today, with uh, a lot of books being written on both sides. Tonight, our focus is going to be once again on 2 Timothy chapter 2. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. I do not have a handout tonight. Next Sunday night, I will have a handout. Tonight, I don't. And we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2 reads, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus... What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men will be able to teach others also. Uh, I have said that this is an important portion of the word of God that speaks to the area of discipleship as we think of the importance of passing the truth of God's word on from one generation to the next. Last week I talked about individual discipleship and uh, found that in this verse when it talks about you then my child. And uh, I broached the question, in what sense is uh, Timothy Paul's child? Uh, he was not his biological child. Uh, we know that from the book of Acts. Uh, his father was a Greek. He was not his child in the faith in the sense that Paul led Timothy to the Lord. For again, in the book of Acts, it tells us that Timothy already was a follower of Christ before Paul ever met him. So he's not his child in the sense that he led him to Christ. So in what sense is Timothy Paul's child? We went to the book of Philippians, where Paul says in commending Timothy to the Philippian church, that you know my son Timothy, that as a son serves with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. So he was his son in the sense that he was an apprentice to Paul. We talked about how uh, in the New Testament era, many times uh, a child was brought up to uh, take over the family business. And so that there would be this development, this encouragement, this opportunity uh, to hone abilities and skills, to be apprenticed to one's father, learn what is necessary so that eventually they could take over the family business. That is all wrapped up in what Paul refers to Timothy here as a child. Mentioned also that Titus is referred to as a child also of the Apostle Paul, having been discipled, mentored, groomed uh, by being with the Apostle Paul. So there is that 
individual aspect, but it's an aspect of a father with a, with a child equipping them to take over the family business. Paul is in this very section talking about the time that uh, he is about to die, uh, that uh, he has finished his course, he has kept the faith, there is henceforth laid up from a crown of righteousness. Paul is passing the baton to Timothy. Timothy needs to be, being, be preparing others in passing that baton as well by mentoring them, by giving them opportunities for service. And we talked about those opportunities that we provide in our local church to do those kinds of things. Tonight, our focus is on group or large group discipleship. How do we see that in this verse, and how is it to be accomplished? If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting with verse 1, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. So we begin by looking at that phrase, what you have heard from me. What you have heard from me. Here we find an important point of Paul's instruction to Timothy. Uh, in this impartation of instruction, Timothy is passive. He is the recipient. What you have heard from me. Uh, it's interesting that it doesn't say what we dialogued about. What well, we sat down and uh, we chatted and do you remember how we had this give and take and together we arrived at what the truth is and uh, together we came to this understanding of, of ministry and, and how it should be done. Uh, do you remember those important discussions that we had? Uh, no, uh, we have a one-sided presentation of what Paul had presented to Timothy, what Timothy had heard that came from the mouth of the Apostle Paul. For what Paul was teaching was authoritative. The whole point in this passage is that truth is to be communicated from one generation to another. Uh, I likened it unto the passing of a baton. When the baton is passed through a relay race, the same baton you start with is the baton that you end with. It passes through a number of hands, but the baton doesn't change. And that is the thought, that God's truth is unchanging. God's truth is eternal. And as such, it is important that what we hand off is the truth that we have received, we have kept it, we have preserved it, we watched over it, we protected it, we didn't let it drop, using this race analogy, but we have held it in our hand, and now it's time to pass it off, that very same truth. The book of Jude uses these words. Behold, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So in the book of Jude, it's fight for the faith. The faith being the complete embodiment of God's truth. All that we believe 
about God's word. It says, fight for that. Defend that. Stand firm concerning that truth which was once delivered. The idea is that this truth comes from God. And so we're entrusted. That's the word that's used uh, in uh, Timothy over and over again of what Paul entrusted to Timothy. Timothy now is to entrust to faithful uh, individuals. So it's delivered. It's received. It's handed over to another individual. So as we're talking about this instruction, we're talking about that which is delivered, that is given over in its embodiment to still another. Secondly, I would point out that this instruction is coming in a large group setting. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it says, what you have heard from me, and now this phrase, in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of many witnesses. So I first focus on the word many. <clears throat> How many are many? I don't know. I know one person isn't many. <clears throat> I know a few people aren't many. And I know that some people aren't many. And I do know that many people are many. All right? So we're talking about a large group, to be sure. And Paul says that I have told you these things, and you heard them in the presence of many witnesses. You heard this along with other people at the same time. A large group of people. And then it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, in the presence of many witnesses. <coughs> in the original, the word presence is actually a prepositional phrase and most literally would be uh, translated among many witnesses, among many witnesses, which has the connotation in the presence of many witnesses. But the import of that preposition is that this isn't something that I told you by yourself. This is something that you heard right along with a whole lot of other people. And they are witnesses to this. So they can agree, Timothy, that what you are teaching is what indeed I taught. For they heard it at the same time. So that Timothy couldn't say, oh, Paul whispered this to me. Uh, Paul taught me something that uh, you need to know. And uh, saying, I was, I was discipled by Paul. And uh, so you need to listen to me. And I'm going to share these great truths that Paul shared with me. No, uh, Timothy, you are to share what I shared with you along with a lot of other people at the same time. They can bear witness. They can testify and say, yes, this is Paul's teaching. Yes, this is what we heard. Yes, this is what was, what was imparted to us as well. My point is that it is a large group dynamic. 
again, because there are many people today saying that you can't disciple a large group. It has to be done individually. And uh, to try to do that is basically a waste of time. And what is the outcome of that is questioning the value of preaching, uh, questioning whether or not that there's really validity in preaching today, of trying to minister God's word in a large group setting. Wouldn't it be much more effective to do this on an individual basis rather than to do it as a large group? And then isn't that what Jesus did is the next question. And the answer is no, that's not what Jesus did. He ministered to the multitudes. He ministered to thousands of people, not just the 12, but even the 12, it wasn't individually. Uh, we can argue about the three, those that were closest to Paul, but then it was the 12 because much of what Jesus taught had to be understood corporately. Uh, it had to be implemented corporately. The love one another passages cannot be properly understood in a one-to-one -one relationship. They can't be practiced in that way. If we're going to love one another, then we've got to have somebody else there to love. All right? And if you want to be challenged to love one another, try to do that with 60 people who don't necessarily have the same background, who don't necessarily see it the same way, who don't necessarily understand exactly the same parameters, but we need to love one another, we need to work together, we need to promote the kingdom of God. The whole aspect we're going to look at next Sunday morning, we talk about spiritual gifts. Not everyone has the gift of teaching, not everyone has the gift of giving, etc., etc. Not everyone is the ear, not everyone is the hand, not everyone is the arm. So we need to develop together. <clears throat> in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the goal is to entrust a faithful man who then in turn will be able to teach others also. So the goal is this aspect of equipping individuals so that they in turn are going to be able to teach others. In the book of Ephesians, when we talk about what the role of the pastor is, in Ephesians 4.11 it says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, which pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So one of the purposes of preaching the word of God is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I would submit to you that's discipleship, of readying others to carry on the ministry, the work of the Lord. For, to equip the saints for ministry, for building up the body of Christ, that is nourishing, edifying, uh, strengthening the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the next goal is spiritual maturity, this development. This is discipleship of helping people mature in their faith, develop in their faith, develop in their ministry, develop in their, their giftedness, to come to full age 
as it were. And then the next verse in Ephesians 4.14 says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So there's to be a teaching of God's word, truth, doctrine, this embodiment of the faith that we've been talking about, in such a way that people understand and can defend their particular understanding of truth. That they're not going to be swayed by other people's opinions, no matter how authoritative, no matter how learned, or perhaps even how spiritual they might present themselves to be. But the people would understand God's truth so that they know what is true, what is reliable, what the Word of God actually says. <clears throat> For it says, so that you may be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, which every part is working properly. That's talking about all of our bodily members. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that we create a body, a group of believers. And here is where this modern view of individual discipleship really fails. And that is it's talking about developing individuals as individual followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, but not to be a part of a body, not to be part of a community, not to be interrelated with one another. Christ never intended for a bunch of individualistic individuals that are roaming the earth doing their own thing. Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul wrote to Timothy and said that he was, uh, excuse me, to Titus, and he was to establish elders in every city. There, there was this importance of a body. There was an importance of a community of believers that together they are serving the Lord. Not individualistically, not a bunch of lone rangers, but together as a people of God doing the work of God. And that is very important to us as a local church. Uh, we are trying to develop community and why it is important in our estimation that we be establishing Bible Fellowship, Church, Bible Fellowship churches overseas so we just don't have people that are coming to faith, being discipled, meaning that they develop a personal relationship to Christ, but then are left to themselves without a body of believers of which they are uniting, serving together, growing together, ministering together, and passing on that faith to another generation. So community is a huge part of this. Uh, it is a, a big part of what we see as essential in the life of the church. Now in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it talks about, about teaching, but doesn't say a lot in that immediate context as to what that teaching is to look like or how does it take place. But 2 Timothy chapter 2 
should not be understood in isolation. It should not be ripped out of the book of 2 Timothy, but we need to see the progression that's taking place. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is this uh, development of individuals. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is talking about the fact that there's going to become perilous times. In these last days, perilous times will come. Reason? Because people will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. Blasphemers, disobedient, uh, covetous, truth breakers, false, incontinence. Uh, and then it goes through this long litany of uh, descriptions. And then at the end it says, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Uh, those two bookends to describe what is the first and second great commandment. The first is to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so it talks about this time in which people are not going to, to be loving others, and they're not going to be loving God with their whole heart. They're going to be loving pleasures more than loving God. It then moves into a discussion of the sufficiency of Scripture. You know the passage. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God would be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So God has given us his word. And that word is seen as sufficient. It's everything that we need for life and godliness. That truth is what we need in our spiritual lives and development. If we are going to serve the Lord adequately, we need to be relying on this, this truth. It is profitable. Because it's inspired by God. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God would be perfect, complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work, everything he needs. That leads us to chapter 4. Chapter 4 says, I charge you therefore. I charge you therefore. <clears throat> by the Presence of the Lord Jesus, uh, by, uh, let me, I'm trying to quote this in the ESV. I have it memorized in the King James. So let me just read it. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who has judged the living and the dead, and by his peering and his kingdom, preach the word. The charge, the command, the responsibility, the duty that Paul gives to Timothy, the means by which he is to equip and enable the next generation. The way in which he's to raise up these individuals that are going to be passing the baton. What is commanded in the scriptures. And there is very little in the scripture that is commanded about public worship. Uh, there's very little that, that talks about how our worship of God is to be regulated. It tells us that communion... It simply says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till it comes. It says, when you do it, this is the purpose. But it doesn't tell you how often to do it. It doesn't tell you uh, if you do that every Sunday. If you do it once a month, once every six months. There is an awful lot of freedom in the New Testament when it comes to worship. It's noteworthy that that which is commanded and is not at all uh, up to 
the discretion of the church is to preach. I charge you, therefore, preach the word. Uh, that word to preach means to herald, to declare, to speak with authority God's word. The book of Timothy tells us that there's going to come a time. Uh, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. Uh, we are in a season where preaching is out of season. Uh, that uh, it's not valued, it's not appreciated, certainly in the world, <laughs> but many times even within Christendom, even among Christians, that preaching isn't highly valued. Uh, I don't know how many Christians, when they're looking at a church, is asking about the preaching. Uh, so many times I think it's about facilities, uh, I think it's about parking, I think it's about programming. Uh, I think it's about what they offer in terms of uh, opportunities for service, all kinds of things. I don't know where, rank, where preaching ranks uh, in that list, but uh, I hope uh, for you it ranks high, and uh, you're probably not gonna be too happy here if it doesn't, because uh, it ranks high in our estimation, all right? Um, So preach the word. And that which is to be preached is the word. Okay, It's, it's not our experiences. It, it, it's not what is the most current topic on the news. It, it's not about what people are interested in or how to lose weight or, uh, I don't know, how to develop friends, influence people. Uh, it's the word of God, which is to be preached. Preaching is central because the word of God is central. The word is what we need. And so it's the word that's declared. And the preacher has the responsibility of preaching the word and nothing else. Because the word is sufficient. It's everything that we need. So it becomes a philosophical understanding that the most valuable, useful way in which we can minister to others is by giving them the word of God. The word of God will solve your problems. The word of God will give you the instruction that you need, the wisdom that you need in rearing your children, in making life's choices, in knowing how to follow him, how to be responsible in your Christian life with duties, obligation, keeping your word. All of the issues of life are addressed in the word of God. And so what we need is a better, more thorough, uh, careful understanding of the word of God. So preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. So the word of God is not to be abandoned 
in time in which it's out of season. And I've said that it's out of season. That many people are not looking for the preaching of the word of God uh, when it comes to uh, choosing what, what church they want to go to. So there are better ways, if you will, of trying to attract people than the preaching of the word of God. But we're committed to the preaching of the word of God rather than simply attract people for the sake of attracting people. We certainly don't want to dissuade people from coming. (laughs) We certainly don't want to be antagonistic. We certainly don't want to be repulsive. And we don't want to be a clique. Uh, We we don't want to be uh, a cocoon. But we want to be preaching the word of God knowing that there are people that that don't want to hear the word of God. Uh, For it says that the time will come when they will have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to fulfill their own passions. Again, an interesting phrase. They will accumulate for themselves teachers. They will have many teachers. Uh, They will have many sources of instruction, of truth. They'll be looking in many different areas in order to try to find answers. Answers that are compatible with what they want to hear. They have itching ears. Uh, They have an agenda. They are sitting there saying to themselves, is this meeting my need? And if it's not meeting my need, then I'm not satisfied. All right, then, then I've got to go somewhere else or, or I have to supplement this um, teaching, if you will. Um, that's one reason why so many churches are trying to develop a particular target group, uh, a particular people group that they are trying to minister to. All right, we're going to be a, a millennial church. We're going to be a 30-something church. Uh, we are going to be a, a family church. For it provides opportunity to have everybody uh, like-minded, everybody in the same kind of experience, going through the same kinds of trials and difficulties. Everybody has kids, everybody has this, everybody has that. And uh, it makes application, if you will, much uh, easier. We purposefully are seeking to have a multi-generational church. We believe in the passing of the baton from one generation to the next. We think it's good for grandparents, parents, grandchildren, great-grandchildren to all be worshiping together. Uh, That means that there are times in which a particular message may not directly uh, benefit a particular individual. Say one Sunday we're preaching on marriage. We recognize that there are single people in the church. We recognize that there are divorced people in the church. We recognize that there are children, teens in the church who, who aren't married. All right, what does this have to do with me? 
Uh, we could be talking about sickness, and uh, we could be talking about uh, facing death and the difficulties and hardships of just before you enter in the Lord's presence. Somebody is sitting there in good health and strength, and they're saying, what does that have to do with me? Uh, I'm going to live a long time, and I feel great. Uh, why do I want to listen to this morbid uh, message? Well, a part of understanding truth is, first of all, an appreciation that what doesn't necessarily address my need might be addressing the person who sits right across the aisle from me. And they need that desperately. And they are benefiting from that. You know, one of the things that we can do, if we're sitting in a, in a message that doesn't particularly apply to me, is be praying. For people that we do know that it applies to, not in a judgmental way, but in a, an encouraging way. As you sit there and you say, you know, I can think of brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Boy, they really need this. This, this really speaks to what's going on in their heart and life. Lord, bless them through, through, through this message. Use this in their life. And then maybe just go up to them afterwards and I say, you know, I, I hope today was an encouragement to you. I hope it was a help. I hope it was a benefit. To recognize that in the body of Christ, we appreciate the value of God's word and to realize how the word of God prepares us for what is going to take place, for what we're going to experience. Bonnie's dad <clears throat> came to know the Lord later in life. And uh, he came down with cancer. And he was in the hospital And uh, he'd never read his Bible very much uh, and didn't go to church. And the bottom line was he didn't know much about what was going to happen after a person dies, what was going to be like to be in the presence of God. He was not at all prepared. He was a person of faith. He knew that he was born again. And he knew that he was going to be in the presence of God. That's all he knew. And at that period of time, in the providence of God, on a Sunday night, I was going through a series on life after death. What it's going to be like. Every Monday, I went to the hospital with my hand out. And I went over it with him. He was so appreciative. He was so thankful. Uh, he delighted in knowing what was going to take place after he died, what that experience was going to be like. We take for granted that foundation that is so important for when we enter that situation where we really need to understand the depths of God's revelation in any particular area of life, it's wonderful at that moment if we don't have to start paging through the scriptures trying to find out what it says. But we already know what it says. We can draw upon that. We can stand upon that. We are nourished by that. We are helped by that. 
So this importance of understanding the whole counsel of God. Again, you know, so often discipleship is understood as learning some basic facts about prayer or evangelism or uh, praise or, or what have you when you do this six months, six week course or whatever and you go over some basic things. Jesus said, all things whatsoever I've commanded you, that's what you're to teach. Everything that I have said. So we have adopted in our church expository preaching, which means we go through the scriptures verse by verse. Uh, and uh, we don't skip any of them. We go verse by verse through the passage. And uh, I don't know, I think I've been in Romans two years now. Um, we're in chapter 12, it's coming to an end, people. Uh, but um, we haven't skipped a verse. And we're going through verse by verse by verse by verse to simply understand the word of God. Because that's what I believe preaching is. It is simply helping people understand what the Bible says. That's what we want to know. What does the Bible say? So preaching is central in the life of our church. And it's central in two ways. First, it's central to our, our worship. Um, it is by far the largest portion of our worship service by design. All right? Uh, a lot of churches, music is the largest portion of the music's great. I have nothing against music, nothing against, but preaching the word is central. It is paramount. It is at the front and center. Secondly, it is central to our church in the fact that we have two preaching services, morning and night. That's intentional. Um, it bucks the modern day approach of small groups and individual Bible studies, etc. There are opportunities for individual Bible studies. There are, individ there are opportunities for people to get together, etc. But uh, preaching is central to our understanding of what is the most helpful way for people to grow, to mature, to develop. It is central in the role that it plays. Secondly, it's central in the sense of what you afford me the opportunity to do. By far, I see my greatest responsibility is the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. I'm thankful for a board of elders that echoes that sentiment, that my greatest responsibility is preaching and teaching the Word of God, which means that I spend the majority of my time each in every week preparing to preach and teach the Word of God. Uh, I can't tell you how appreciative I am of that fact. For there are many churches where the pastor doesn't have the luxury to spend the time that I have to spend. I can, most days, spend my entire day preparing. And I do. I do. I don't waste that time. I read, 
I study, I think. And I labor over what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it. I go into the pulpit with a manuscript almost, with almost every word chosen, because I want to be careful in what I say. Certainly not to be flippant, certainly not to talk off the top of my head, certainly not to guess at what this passage means, but I want to know what it says. And I want to tell you what I've come to know, what I've come to understand. I think most of you appreciate that. That makes us unique. I've said oftentimes, I, I'm, I'm appreciative. Uh, there aren't many churches where you could preach for 45 minutes and uh, people not complain. Many of you heard this analogy or story, but uh, a number of years ago, I was uh, invited to uh, candidate at one of our churches that was looking for a preaching pastor. And they interviewed me and, and said, uh, all we want you to do is preach. That's it. We don't want to do anything else. Just preach. Prepare. Preach. We will have... Other people doing the administration. We'll have other people doing the visitation. All we want you to do is preach. That was interesting. And then they said, uh, we've listened to your messages online. We appreciate those messages, but they're long. And they said, you know, if you could boil it down to 20 minutes... We think that would be what's best. So, you know, some of your sermons could be three sermons. I'd be in Romans for five years, okay? <laughs> but I sat there with a church that said, all we want you to do is preach. That's your only responsibility. And we want to hear the word, but try to keep it to 20 minutes. Not that there is something sacred or holy about 45 minutes. But I'm saying to you that if we want to go to any depths of understanding of the word, that takes time. In the book of Isaiah, it talks about precept upon precept, line upon line. We live in this period of time of fast food. We try to be gourmet dining. We try to relish the word and to present the word in its fullness, in its depth, to go deeper. One of the blessings that I've had is to be here for 37 years. Um, when it comes to Advent season, we celebrate Advent, which means we preach Christmas messages four times a year. 37. Four times seven is 28. Carry the two, four times three, 12. That's 148 Christmas messages. That's a challenge. And not say the same thing every time. That means constantly trying to understand it deeper. Trying to come up 
with not something new or novel, but something that is richer, deeper, more glorious, more powerful. And that's been a blessing to me personally. That's helped me to grow. That's helped me to understand God's word in a deeper, fuller, more precious way. So selfishly, I say thank you for that opportunity. But that's what we're about, preaching the word of God. And we think that that is paramount. Opportunities, raise questions, thoughts, that that uh, creates in your mind, uh, concerns, uh, interaction. As I say, next week I'll have a handout. So come back and uh, we'll talk about how to do what you do. Somebody, yes, Nate. Good to see you out. Glad your back's better. Well, I, I, think that is, uh, I think that is true, uh, and uh, I think that's part of people having itching ears, <laughs> that they don't want to hear uh, certain things. Um, yeah, I think it's easy to fall into a situation where, and I'm, so let me deal about large group, okay, discipleship. I think it's pretty easy to fall in a, into a situation where the whole emphasis is on praise and lifting up. And uh, there's a whole lot of aspects about righteousness, holiness, sin that isn't dealt with. That's the advantage of going through a passage verse by verse because it gives you that opportunity to nail whatever's there, not because you're nailing some person, but because you're simply saying this is what the Bible says. And so it enables you to address sin uh, from the authority of the, of the word of God. Uh, it provides the balance, if you will, in our instruction. You know, a lot of times people will say to me after a message, well, you didn't say this, and you didn't say that. That's true, because it wasn't in the text. Uh, when I get to that text, I'll say that, okay? Uh, the balance comes, not in any one message. The balance comes in the plurality of the messages. It comes through the Teaching of the whole counsel of God, which can't happen in 45 minutes, that happens in a lifetime. The balance comes in presenting the whole word of God. Thank you, Nate. Anybody else? Thoughts, comments, issues, concerns? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for your people, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that you have given us to have your word. And, uh, O oh Lord, may we be faithful to it. Uh, may we believe that, indeed, it does equip us. Uh, it does provide with us everything that uh, we need to know for life and godliness. Uh, so, Lord, help us in the understanding of your truth. Help us in the 
preservation of that truth, that it will be handed down to the next generation, even it was handed to us, intact, whole, complete, and reliable. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.